Hello and welcome to the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. I am your host, Dalton Renshaw. As always, I'm here with Jason Walker. Jason, how was the holidays? Uh, could have been better sports-wise, but uh, I actually really enjoyed it. So, as far as being able to spend time with family and whatnot, so yeah. I, I really liked it. You had family in town, I'm presuming. Uh, I went to the family, oh, did so, you? so they were Colorado. Colorado. Are you doing uh, Wisconsin? No. Oh, I'm trying to just piece together where your family lives. Where were you then? Kaysville. Oh, well, it's like so an hour that. away. <laughs> so I wasn't expecting you to say that you were in Logan. That's why I was yeah, like, oh, I wasn't. In, I wasn't in Logan. I was nearish by. Well, I had it in my mind that you're from Kaysville. That's why I was saying you traveled. But I did. <laughs> back to your hometown. Yes, back to my back to the old stomping grounds. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's some semantics, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, same. I pretty much just spent time with family, traveled a little bit, mostly stuck around here, which is, I mean, favorable for me at least because, you know, it's nice to have some time off and just kind of not do much, right? Yeah, I, I got to kind of just relax, you know, take a step back from writing a ton. I still did write, which was nice because mm-hmm. um, I, I obviously enjoy writing, but it was nice to not have to worry a ton about all these things going on, being in the grind. And right. I think I even missed a Utah State basketball game, which... I, that was the one I've missed. It was Eastern Oregon. I just didn't pay attention mm-hmm. to it. And I was doing something else. Yeah. And it, it was actually a funny note about that because I, I looked at the score. I can't even remember what I was doing in place of the Eastern Oregon game. But I looked up the score on my phone. I saw it was like 107.47 or something to that effect. Yeah. It was a little over 100 for Utah State and under 47 for Oregon, or Eastern Oregon. I thought the game was over. I thought that was the final score. Oh, no, my friend. And I looked at it, and it was, it was like nine minutes left in the game, and I was like, oh, dang, yeah. they're still going. <laughs> See, that was the one, I did the uh, radio booth for a couple of games, and all, that was one of the ones that I did. And I remember just sitting there, and, you know, if you've ever done it, you're kind of just in and out the whole time, doing whatever you're doing, listening to the game a little bit. And then I just kept coming back in. I'm like, did they, did Scotty just say they scored? A ten zero run? Did he just? <laughs> and then you do you go back check the check Twitter or whatever real quick and then see the score. Yeah, they, it was surprising, uh, not not how much they won by considering the opponent, but it was yeah. surprising how often they were able to go on these runs and just absolutely, yeah. you know, obliterate them. Play like a drinking game for every eight zero run, probably kill right. yourself. Right. And then it was it was funny to uh, kind of hear as the game was wrapping up, they were you know kind of going back and forth whether this was the highest scoring regular season game of all time, second highest scoring game, uh, including overtimes and stuff like that. Um, but I think they only fell like fifteen or so points short of uh, any USU basketball game. Overtime yeah, recording. yeah, it was second to a game that Utah State lost to UNLV. Their highest scoring game ever, they lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite the game. We should. Honor, yeah. It's honestly one that probably deserves its own little history type video mm-hmm. podcast thing. Just maybe just, coming into the uh, next UNLV matchup, do a little something on that. <laughs> maybe. Well, so, considering how they did offensively in their right. last UNLV game, they just barely played. We're deflecting, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Let's remember the good old days. Of course, <laughs> oh, that was a long time ago. I don't know if those were the good UNLV. They probably weren't the good UNLV teams because I think it was just short because I believe that was like '85 or so, somewhere around there. Yeah, because they got killed by those UNLV teams. Mm-hmm. But that was like the real heyday was the like early 90s, wasn't it? 92 or something like that. But anyways, we digress. Um, we should. Cause... We should because we're very <laughs> far off topic now. <laughs> um, the, the, one, uh, the one piece of uh, like entertainment that I did consume outside of sports was uh, I did go see the new Star Wars. And we started briefly talking about this before we started mm-hmm. recording. Um, we're both kind of in the same boat of 
you know, general fans of the franchise. We've seen all of them, but I wouldn't say either of us are super fans. We're casuals. Casuals, as they would say. <laughs> I'm a casual fan. But, uh, yeah, I, I haven't actually asked you how you felt about it. I'm going to tell you my opinion real quick, and then you can tell okay. me yours. Uh, I was underwhelmed with it, honestly. I thought that there were parts of it that were interesting. I think I tweeted out something afterwards of like, Star Wars Episode Nine. you will enjoy parts of this. Because I mean, <laughs> that's kind of how I came away with some of the scenes were really cool. Most of the movie I didn't think was done in, in, in a way that I think should live up to what most people's expectations are for the franchise. But um, yeah, what were your thoughts, Jason? Uh, I felt like it could have been an extremely good movie if they'd actually had two movies to build up on it. Do a Harry Potter style or something like that. Well, just because it felt like the two, they, they only needed, they had the two previous movies, obviously, the right. the Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker. If they'd used those two movies properly, this last one would have been a really good payoff. Right. This is what I basically told my, I went with like eight or so members of my family like, mm. and two of my brothers and my dad, so, and then some cousins and uncles and whatnot. So you guys rented out the whole movie theater. Yeah, <laughs> like a whole row. <laughs> uh, but I, I told him this is how it phrases. Like it felt like a great payoff to a series I didn't get to watch. Because mm. I mean, obviously being a bit, a bit facetious or you know whatever. Because obviously sure. I, I did see the build up to it, but it didn't feel like the build up to that movie was there. Yeah. And it said because like Ryan Johnson basically left J.J. Abrams with nothing. Yeah. J.J. Abrams set up Ryan for almost kind of a slam dunk with some of the things they had fans going on. Like there were a lot, there's a lot of fan excitement. Um, and then it's like pulling a Marquise Chris and airballing a dunk. <laughs> like that's what Ryan Johnson did. Yeah. And then J.J. Abrams had to grab the the airball dunk and try and put up a layup. And yeah, I mean it worked for me. Like going on, keeping this terrible analogy going, yeah. he made the layup, yeah. but it didn't look very good. No. And in, in the long run, it's like you kind of got the job done. Was I entertained by the series? Yes. Right. But you know, it's hard to live up to that original trilogy, but at least get part of the way there. And I think, like you know, looking back on the the previous two, um, after you watch that one, I think what like you're kind of trying to say, and or what I'm getting out of that is like. You know, as as a series, the three parts together, it was okay. It was entertaining, but um, you almost kind of look back on the previous two and think, the way they built that up, leading to this one, like it wasn't handled properly yeah. at all. And like you think, at least personally, I thought like episode eight now was kind of way more underwhelming than I thought it was after yeah. initially watching it, just because of the way they built it up. But um, this is not a movie podcast, so maybe we yeah, should go back we could to... we could talk a lot more. But let's go. Let's talk about sports. Let's talk about. Yeah. Uh, Things that were probably just about as good or as entertaining as Rise of Skywalker, you know, the yeah. basketball and football that Utah State had and only kind of succeeded at in some ways. I would almost say that uh, with, with all its faults, the Rise of Skywalker is probably more entertaining than that last <laughs> USU football game if you watched it. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, okay, I'll give you that one. So I think I think that might have been the last time that we were uh, in the same room with each other was for that bowl game. Probably. And uh, <laughs> so fond memories. Um Maybe that's why we haven't seen each other, just because the the bowl game was so. It's just it, it just killed our friendship. We can't talk to each other anymore. <laughs> but so, let's get into it because um, <laughs> we we were both at the game. Uh, we we traveled to Texas to watch the watch the Kent State versus Utah State football game. The 
I'm trying to remember it now. The tropical smoothie cafe. Yeah, the the full thing. What they sent you a whole press brief. You should have. They did. We really should have worked on that probably a little (laughs) bit more. Promoted the tropical smoothie cafe brand. I'm sure you guys would have loved to see stuff from the Utah Statesman and the Statesman Sports Desk about the wonders of. What was the brand called again? Tropical, Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Tropical Smoothie Cafe. I was thinking of like the beach they set up because that was one yeah. of the things I kept talking about was this beach they had in 50, 45 degree weather. I, I'm, I'm sure that's the market that the USU Statesman fans have been wanting is Tropical Smoothie. But that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was quite hilarious how um, they had these models out that were dressed, you know, as they were ready to go out on the beach. And it's not, it's like somebody didn't watch the weather reports before yeah. because it was uh, like 40 and raining for most of the time. Yeah, we saw them, they had their coats on. I was like, dang, well, you better have your coats on. Right. You shouldn't be wearing, you should just keep that on the whole time. I, was, I had my coat on. I was like, Usually when you go to, the, go to the beach, you don't come away with hypothermia. You come away yeah. with, you know, fond memories or something like that. So they had to keep a medical tent nearby yeah. to have them rushing in and, uh, give them some hot chocolate or something. Are we just stalling to not yes, talk about the Yes, we are game? stalling <laughs> to not talk about the, I shouldn't say horrendous, because it wasn't that bad. They gave up 51 points. Yeah, well, they scored 41, which is why I say it wasn't that bad. The defense Fair. was bad. The offense wasn't as bad. Special teams was awful, though. Yeah, that's, and okay, <clears throat> let's chop that up into a couple parts then. Um, the special teams, I, I didn't plan on starting there, but let's start there because um, in the press conference, there wasn't many things that Gary Anderson said, um, as you could probably imagine after a game like that. <laughs> but he did go on about the special teams a little bit and how um, how poor the performance was, and that was one of the few aspects of the game he, he really was um, displeased with for his team. Um, I mean, there's not much you can really point at and say like, oh, they should have done that better, they should have done that better, other than, like, I mean, obvious things like, like fumbles, right? It, it was more of a collective that they just didn't perform well. W- would you say that's... On well, special better? teams? or Yeah. Well, special teams, it was the, there was the kicking itself. Right. I don't know if it was planned, because Dominic Everly seems like he's randomly had these duds for kickoffs. I feel like with a guy like him and the ability to kick it out of the end zone, you do that every time. Right. They didn't. I, don't, I think they kicked it out of the end zone maybe once. I can't even remember... With how many kickoffs there were, if they ever actually tried that or succeeded at it. There was one touchback out of eight kickoffs. Okay. But two two returns for Kent State went for long, like either past their own 40 or even into Utah State territory, if I remember correctly. That's right, yeah. There were two long ones. I think both ended up in touchdowns. I think one of them was late and ended up killing Utah State's chances because um, I think they were only down seven or three or something like that. Yeah. And then they let up a long kickoff, and that basically sealed the game. Or, you know, obviously in the lack of a defensive stand. So the kickoff game was especially poor. They also fumbled a punt right. after one of their few good defensive series of the game in the first half, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was. And that led to a touchdown. So right there, one of in a game where you give up 51 points, when you finally get a defensive stop, or at least start with a defensive stop, and you end up giving up a touchdown because of your special teams, you know, that's that's a backbreaker. Yeah. No, it, yeah, looking back on it now, kind of going through some of the stats, I, I, I do remember this. So they had the 46-yard the um, kick return and then a 36-yard kick return. And they also had a 33-yard kick return that I had forgotten about apparently. Um, but more specifically towards the defense like you're talking about, um, they did have very few stops in the game. So like you're saying – you know, giving up that kind of field position after something like that. And I remember um, 
I think I either tweeted out or wrote down a note at uh, a couple of those those uh, junctures in the game where they had a couple really good stops, um, which felt which felt like they were going to bring so much momentum to the team because of how much um, Dustin Crum obviously specifically having a, a wonderful performance, but the running game overall. Um, was was you know they came into the game as uh like worse than the nation in the final six games and it definitely proved to be the the form that they were playing in right yeah and uh i don't know now i guess i'm kind of going on a tangent about their uh about their rushing game because to me that's the thing that really kind of broke their backs the most um if you want to point to something uh other than the special teams yeah what it's tackling had to do with special teams too, especially in those true. kickoffs. But yeah. so really, just in any way stopping Kent State from gaining yards one way or the other, they were just incapable of doing. They never really stopped him passing. Dustin Crum had five incompletions on the day, which I mean, it didn't feel like they were killed in the passing game. But if you only throw five incompletions and you attempt twenty something odd passes, you're not really succeeding in stopping the passing either. Sufficient. And then you know, obviously. He had 147 rushing yards, and his longest run was 30 yards. It's not like he was just, he tore him up for like one or two big plays. It was consistently, and I said this in a a previous podcast, I believe, that Utah State, or at least I maybe just said it on Twitter. I've said it somewhere. Yeah. Utah State has to be one of the worst teams at finishing sacks in the nation. Obviously, I don't have a whole lot of watching other college football teams, and there's not a stat for (laughs) not finishing sacks there probably should be probably should be they can probably find a way to do that but Utah State would get pressure on him decently often but they'd never complete. I don't know if they got a sack in the game they might have got one let's see let's look at it here uh yeah Nick Henninger actually had two okay so they got two so good game from him at least as far as getting a couple of sacks and they had some tackles for loss I think they had what seven or so so there are times when they can show good run defense, usually when the other team rushes up the middle. Anything other than that, they really struggle. They struggle setting the edge. They struggle tackling the quarterback. And if the quarterback is like Dustin here, then he just scrambles away and gets tons of yards. Yeah. And Utah State just, they, they can't stop it. They don't have speed on defense. They don't have tackling. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it really does... I don't want to talk about the defense too much more because I mean, it kind of does uh, it encapsulates how the season went after they lost David Woodward for the most part. Would you agree with that? I think so, but even before they lost David Woodward, this was a systemic problem. Yeah, you could see the signs of it, right? Yeah, like David Woodward was like the only guy who could tackle because you go back to the first game of the season. Right. You had, uh, I think I've mentioned this once or twice, um, PFF had their like grades for their running back. I can't remember his name. Um, for Wake Forest. Kate Carney. Kate Carney. He yeah. had something to the effect of 110-ish yards. I can't remember the exact total. That's right. Like 100 of them were after the tackle. Yeah. All but like three or four of them were after first contact. Right. It's like, that's dumb. Because it basically shows like they're getting to him at or behind or just after the line of scrimmage. Yeah. You Not should be stopping him there. Yeah. David Woodward was the only guy who ever managed to stop him in his tracks, and you watch the game, and you see David Rumor. If he tackled him, Kate Carney stopped and then went down. Right. Everybody else, he'd drag him along for three yards. Right. 
So I guess it's kind of like, in some ways, you can make the analogy of, you know, if you have a dam that's, you know, full of rocks, but you have, you could see that it's about ready to break, but you have the biggest rock right in the middle and you remove that rock and then all the water flows through. That's kind of what removing David Woodward was from the defense, right? Yeah. Um, do you want to talk any more about the defense? Because I... what's been, you know, we've said just better than needs right. to be said. I mean, right. we, we, go, we could go in depth on a lot of different things, yeah. but the long and short of it is the defense couldn't tackle. It just struggled in a lot of areas and it needs to improve. They need to step up. Yeah, the guys sure who are coming back. It would yeah. be because, like, they, obviously they're losing Woodward. Um, they're gonna have some pieces coming back, but I've even seen uh, a couple players that they didn't get a, a ton of time to be fair, but have started transfer from the defense as well. So, uh, we'll, we'll see kind of springtime. It's gonna show you know Gary Anderson's recruiting as you get a year or two. You start to see which guys you know, Coach Anderson brings in because Matt Wells was first playing with. Anderson's guys and did right. pretty well. Then he had to build up his own, which took him a few years because he went three and nine one year, bookended by a couple of six and seven seasons. Now Anderson's kind of got to pick up the pieces of Matt Wells, make his own program again. Yeah. So let's talk about the offense. Um, maybe more specifically, <laughs> one player. <laughs> um, and I'm mean, let's. I I would like to touch on real quick because it was his last game. Uh, Gerald Bright. He didn't have a great game, but he did get a touchdown. And um, he did have, I, I would say, a workman's like performance where he carried the ball 21 times. He almost uh, eclipsed 100 yards, and kind of did the standard Gerald Bright thing of you know giving the ball, he'll get you a couple yards. But um, unfortunately, there wasn't much else to be said about his final game as as an Aggie. But um, uh, did he actually end up? Uh, Breaking a thousand yards. Of the that's season? actually what I'm looking up is right that what now. You're at? <laughs> I, I just if you hear me typing, that's exactly what I was looking up. Yeah. Uh, he did not. He fell, eighty yards, eight, seventy nine yards short. Okay. So, so he was. It was a bit of a long shot for him anyway. But even when he came into the game, he was at or above most of his last year's stats, which, um, I guess it made me a bit of a liar in that I said that he would regress. Um, I can't remember if I said if he would improve statistically. I think I said he might have, but I felt like he wouldn't have been better. Right. But at the end of the day, I do have to say that I was wrong because I felt like he was better, and that's just ignoring his. If he had put up less stats, which I guess, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been better if he put up less stats. Yeah. But just the way that I saw him, he looked better than last year and performed better than last year, even though I guess he's like one point two yards less per carry. Yeah. But he's averaged more than five yards a carry. Well, I think what you saw was you saw somebody that improved as a football player and improved as a running back and was kind of forced upon in a position where, you know, obviously last year they had Darwin Thompson and so they split a lot of carries. This year it was really just Gerald Bright for the most part. Um, early on, obviously, you had contributions from Jalen Warren, but with his injuries throughout the season, it kind of just fell on Gerald Bright's shoulders towards the end of the season. And, you know, somebody who probably is best in a two-back system kind of ended up having to put on more of a workload than I think initially he probably would have wanted to yeah um but uh jordan love let's talk about jordan love because he actually ended his career as an aggie uh pretty well in my in my, in my opinion statistically uh had some good stats he was 30 of 39 317 yards the one interception that he does have is on his uh resume for this game was i mean kind of a fluke of, was in Jalen warren's hands gets hit and kind yeah. of pops up so i wouldn't necessarily say that's on love it's one of the few that actually i would say was not his fault this season right which is one of the which is why yeah it was weird. I didn't even think it was that much of an interception. I thought it was a fumble, but yeah, initially I think we 
were kind of going back and forth in the press conference between everyone was in there wondering if it was going to be one or the other. And Yeah, it's just that's what they decided, so that's what they get. Yeah. It's the stat keeper's decision was because they're not going to review it. Right. But so um, the overall performance, I would say a pass, a, a plus, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he he's the reason they scored 41 points for the most part. Um, obviously, there was, they should have finished a few more drives, but overall they did well. He played well, set a bowl game record for completions. Mm-hmm. He now owns pretty much every bowl game record. Mm-hmm. Um, completions, attempts, yards, touchdowns. Most of those were all set in different yeah. games, yeah. but uh, I don't know if he owns the single game interception because he's only ever thrown, I think, one in a game. And so somebody else has probably got that, but that's a record I'm sure he's glad not to have. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would imagine so. <laughs> If he did set that record, he probably would have come close to the single season record for interceptions, which I right. believe is 21 or something like that. Yeah. Um, which he fell four short of, I believe, right? I think he was 17, if I yeah. remember correctly. So, um, obviously, if you've been living under a rock, um, break the news to you, Jordan Love will be going to the NFL draft. Will Wait, not be. what? <laughs> I know. It's been a long winter, uh, just getting, <laughs> getting back into the swing of things, but... Um, yeah, I, I, we'll probably save doing more of a uh, a draft analysis type thing for when it gets closer to the process. But um, I would like to probably touch on just real quick the state of the quarterback room slash um, obviously losing an offensive coordinator within the last uh, couple of days. Um, I, it's 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 always tough to lose somebody like that, right? But um, I think it's probably somebody that have have mixed uh mixed reactions on from uh people who cover the team and fans as as well. What what are you what were your initial thoughts when uh, it was announced that Sanford would be leaving? I was extremely surprised. Yeah. Not necessarily that he left, it was how he left. Right. If if you would have told me Sanford uh, after the, you know, bowl game or maybe in the aftermath that Sanford would be gone after the season, I'd have been like, "Oh, so they had the balls to fire him." Right. Not Oh, a Power Five team hired him away. Yeah, what? I think it's it's one of those things where you know you could look at Jordan Love and see all of his faults and see the interceptions he threw, but then you also look at the draft uh, scouts and say you know this guy's a top fifteen pick, and maybe it's one of those things where Sanford has this potential among coaches, and he's a young guy, obviously, and maybe there's some things you could look at throughout the season that impress some people. But the overall perception was kind of like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting the way that yeah. played out. And, and he was he was underwhelming. And I can't say that he should be defined by this season. I shouldn't say that he's a bad offensive coordinator. He just did a bad job this year. Yeah. I have heard, I, I should say in his defense, because the one thing in, that's come up multiple times that, you know, one of our first podcasts ever, like I think our second one ever, was we sat down with Mike Sanford. Yeah. And he said, we're going to run the same system they, they ran in 2018. And I walked out of there thinking, that's interesting. Yeah. And I had skeptical red flags flying up. So I was like, as, as an offensive coordinator, you need to assert yourself and run your system. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to, you should adapt it to your personnel if it's possible. But don't copy somebody else. They hired you. Right. You know, don't copy David Yost or Matt Wells or whoever's system, you know. I think that kind of just morphed out of Matt Wells right. and David Yost. <laughs> But David Jones kind of really did a lot with Matt Wells' system and worked into it. Right. But the one thing I, I have heard, though, 
is that it's possible he was kind of forced into that. Yeah. That Gary Anderson or somebody, I don't know if it was Anderson, just basically told Mike Sanford, here, we're going to run what we ran last season. Yeah. Which, if that's the case, then I'm kind of glad Mike Sanford got out of town for his own sake. Right. Because that's not the kind of job you want. So, I mean, Sanford's out now. That's, I mean, that's done and dusted. He's gone off to Minnesota, which is actually kind of interesting because at times Minnesota was a top 15 team in the nation this year. So um, I don't know exactly what kind of players are going to be getting back, but that could be a a pretty good situation for Sanford to find himself in coming into next season, right? Yeah. Um, But so he's out. So next for the Aggies, I don't want to necessarily put you on the spot and make you do any reporting that you're unaware <laughs> of at the moment, but um, have you had uh, any kind of a feeling of uh, somebody they might name as the next OC, or do you think that you're, you get the feeling they might kind of wait till maybe closer to spring into the summer and get that position filled with somebody else? So we'll see. I'll probably be searching for a couple of weeks, or maybe they already have a guy in mind. Mm. Uh, a name that popped into my head fairly quickly was Chucky Keaton. Mm. And then I, I saw one other person say that Chucky was probably in mind. It was, again, Twitter. I don't think he's... It was it like one of those Utah State kind of, uh, like, uh, semi-reporters, if you will, or... Kind of. He's a guy that I feel like I've heard has some sort of clout. Right. But, again... I don't know. They're pretty tight-lipped about these things, so it's so hard Chucky, to know. He's been working under Matt Wells for the past couple of years, right? Yeah, he's but, been he's been an assistant for three or four years, I think, or somewhere close to that. But he hasn't actually served as a, a coordinator yet, right? He's just been a, a quarterbacks coach, if I'm not mistaken. I don't or? know if he was ever officially like a quarterbacks coach or anything more than a grad assistant. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I probably look it up. But I mean, for a first, you know, being a first-time coordinator. Utah State's not a bad place to be a first-time coordinator because you get your start somewhere. Would that surprise you not for Chucky wanting to take the job, but for Utah State hiring Chucky? It wouldn't surprise me at all, to be honest. It's really? the kind of move Utah State would make. You know, going off their, their recent history, I can understand that, but you would think that <laughs> maybe... They shouldn't. They I'll shouldn't. say that. That's yeah. my opinion. Like, the name came to mind, and I thought, no. Because when has that ever gone well? To me, it feels like this is probably a, a point in the program where last year didn't go super well, so it might be a good time to start rebuilding in somewhat uh, of a capacity. And so typically you'd want to hire somebody who has a little bit of experience in the position, right, to kind of yeah. bring in the next generation of Utah State football players. Yeah, they need to bring in a, a good offensive mind and a good coach. But I guess that's, I guess you kind of always want one of those. That right. shouldn't be anything special. But somebody with at least a couple years' experience. Yeah, I so he has more experience. You know, maybe not necessarily bringing in a guy who's, you know, still got green on his pants. Yeah. But I don't know where that analogy came from. I don't know. I, I've I actually tra- never heard that analogy before. <laughs> I probably brought it from the South somewhere. <laughs> just still got green on him. How, got the- I was trying to think. I'm like, <laughs> so you're saying he's not going to come from Eastern Michigan? Or, like, what does that mean? Uh, Utah Valley, maybe? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe he's not. They got well, what about pants. Purple, though? What about somebody like Jay Hill? Maybe. He's probably looking for a head coach opportunity, though. I would think so. But but I I, I still kind of think that there is that little bit of a, um, a progression of you come from the FCS levels, and then you take one year as maybe a coordinator, and then you have your chance as a head coach. Not saying that Jay Hill um, is undeserving, because I think he is deserving of a Division One head coaching job, but I think... 
he probably wouldn't be opposed to it just from I've seen on, you know, past trends of coaches in that position. Yeah, it, it just depends on what he wants. If he takes an offensive coordinator position, it would probably be at a bigger school than Utah State. Yeah. Maybe. It, it depends on, you know, who likes him and what he wants to do. That, that, that's what it'll come down to. If Utah State can get him, that'd be nice. After the last two games of U of U, uh, I <laughs> this is probably a little bit uh, exaggerated, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Andy Lug would leave either. So maybe that position could become vacant in the not too distant future. Yeah, from CJ Hill going to Utah, or well, you bring up you know maybe a bigger position in the state of Utah, and if that position opened up, maybe that would be the real competition uh, competition for uh, Jay yeah. Hill's services. Heaven knows Utah could always use an offensive coordinator. <laughs> right. Okay, so I think we're probably done on football for wow, for, I mean, the 2019 season it seems like. Yep. We've got all of 2020 to wait for the next <laughs> next football season, uh, although I will say I'm curious to see how this batch of quarterbacks we have left works out, because I'm a lot less confident about Columbia than I was at the start of the season. Yeah. Because I would have kind of expected Columbia to at least maybe play out his senior season. If Jordan Love had stayed his whole time, then Columbia would have played out his senior season likely as the starter. Be kind of just a one-time in and out, get your one season of glory. And I felt like he would have been pretty good. But now he's poised to be the starter. It's his job to lose. I'm just not that confident in him as I was, like, I've always felt he's talented. I've said yeah. in the past that his, at times his arm has looked better than Jordan Love's. At least he seemed to put more zip on the ball. All I realize he doesn't have any touch on his passes. Yeah. That's the one thing I learned about him this year from being able to watch him more. He's also more athletic than Jordan Love. But he's not as good. And I, ne- I never said he was as good. I just said there were some pieces he had that were better than Jordan Love. But he's he's got a lot of the tools and doesn't know how to use him quite well, yet. And he did also didn't get the benefit of uh, what he got uh, this season prior of getting those, you know, third, fourth quarter reps when the, you know, Utah State was blowing out their opponents. And, you know, he really only got that one game of exposure that um, I'm trying to remember the game when Jordan Love went in out. In 2018? No, was... in this, this past season. This past season? When Jordan Love went out with the... We did whatever. it in 2018, too, because he played a whole half against Hawaii. No, I'm saying he he didn't get that kind of experience. He didn't. Oh, he didn't. Yeah, okay. didn't get many quarters this season to actually go out there and uh, play very much, which could be, um, you know, yeah. something that possibly hurts him. But yeah, no, I, I would agree with your sentiments of um, he's probably not your number one quarterback, or at least you'd you'd want. Well, who's going to take it over? Because I, I tell you what, there was a lot of the hype over the quarterback recruits they got. When I saw him in spring ball, I was like, keep these kids off the dang field. Yeah. When we're playing serious football, yeah, because they were not ready at all. I, I would use the the word raw, definitely raw. Yes. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get closer to spring, or uh, actually national signing day is not too far from now. Only about a month off, so we'll probably do another edition closer to that. But for now, uh, see you later, Utah State football. It's nice knowing you. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.